0: working together this week's episode of the sustainable futures show is mainly about employee engagement i'm very pleased to have simon hindmarch by director of commercial limited as my interview guest she introduces her company, where they not only motivate their staff to be focused on sustainability, they get their clients and their suppliers on board as well. They've been running their CSR days for nearly 10 years, and you'll find more about them on YouTube. There's a link on the susbiz.biz. That's s-u-s-b-i-z.biz, the susbiz.biz website, or in the episode notes on iTunes or search YouTube for Commercial LTD. Hello, this is Anthony Day, and welcome to another episode of the Sustainable Futures show. I'll tell you about the Sustainable Best Practice Exchange later, 14th of April, don't forget. But in the meantime, if you need a chairman, MC, panellist or keynote speaker for your conference, webinar or award ceremony, call me now. I'm on 07803 616 or mail at anthony-day.com First a few comments about items in the news, the oil price, air quality and the winning of the carbon war. The oil price is now below $30 a barrel, the lowest for 12 years. And people are beginning to ask whether it can go even lower, maybe even as far as $10. They are also asking how good this is for the global economy. On the one hand, cheap oil cuts the overheads of business and makes it easier for consumers to run their cars and in some cases to heat their homes. On the other hand, It makes it extremely difficult for oil companies to turn a profit and certainly restricts their capacity to invest in exploration or to renew plant. Oil shares have been seen as high-quality, blue-chip investments for decades. Many pension funds rely on them as a key component of their portfolios. If the value of oil shares falls, the wealth of pensioners declines. Unexpected Consequences as we discussed last week. Last week, RBS advised investors to sell everything except bonds and government stock. Not solely because of the falling oil price, but they certainly mentioned it in their briefing note. Why is oil so cheap? Partly because demand, principally from China, is declining as global economic activity slows down. But mainly because Saudi Arabia continues to produce more than the market needs. It wants to drive the price down so that it can maintain market share by making US fracking uneconomic. It has certainly gone a long way towards that and is seriously affecting the viability of oil from Canadian tar sands and from the North Sea. It's also making it more and more difficult for renewable energy to compete with fossil fuels, although the gap is significantly narrowing. Another problem is that the low price is cutting Saudi's revenues and depleting their reserves to the extent that they may have to consider introducing income tax or even sending the princes out to work. As long as they can manipulate markets so that the US continues to depend on the Middle East for oil, the US will maintain a military presence there, Which is in saudi arabia's interests it is also in the interest of the uk which relies on the middle east for both oil and gas there are tankers moored around the world full of surplus oil there are trains of tanker trucks also full of oil parked in sidings the owners are waiting for supplies to falter driving prices back up how likely is this well last week an agreement was reached with iran over nuclear developments and sanctions have been lifted. Iran can now freely export its oil again, adding another million and later 2 million barrels to world supplies, 4 million barrels in total. Adding this to Saudi's daily production of 10 million barrels can surely only keep prices low. There's been much speculation about the consequences of the low oil price, but it's as though COP21 last month's International Climate Change Conference, never happened. The delegates left the conference announcing their commitment to keep global warming down to 1.5 degrees C by cutting carbon emissions. Commentators said that this was the beginning of the end for the oil industry, but conversations and interviews about the oil price seem to be based on business as usual. The Guardian reports that several streets in London have already this year exceeded their total annual limit for emissions of nitrous oxide, a pollutant created by motor vehicles. But has anything been said about restricting the use of petrol and diesel? Last July, the Chancellor actually reduced the tax on cars with higher emissions. Plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. The more it changes, the more it stays the same. But is anything changing at all? To more optimistic things, some people are changing the world. Here's Simon Hindmarch Bai. My guest this week is Simon Hindmarch Bai, director at the commercial group. So, thank you very much with be- for being with us. It's a pleasure. <laughs> Let's start off, if I may, by finding out exactly what sort of organization the commercial group is.
1: Okay. Well, commercial has been – it will be our 25th year this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we supply everything back office that's required to run a business. So, um, we have separate divisions of the, co- of the company, um, primarily around office supplies, print, um, IT infrastructure, and um, everything interior. So, that's from planning to installation to um, everything else. So furniture and that sort of thing.
0: Right. Well, you became a director in 1996. Did the company have a sustainability policy at that time or is that something that you've developed since?
1: Oh, gosh, we didn't develop it for many years after 1996. So we developed it in um, 2007. Mm -hmm. I was um, invited to see Al Gore speak by one of our top clients which was B sky B oh yes and because they were in communications they saw themselves in a in a very important position to communicate about climate change um, especially to the business world and their customers um, went along to that and um, it was a bit of an epiphany moment for for me personally and quite one of those moments that really changed the shape of our our business and um, although we had a policy I think we were probably in the camp that had a policy but didn't really do a huge amount about the environment it was more of a a box ticking exercise until that point.
0: Okay so 2007 was when Al Gore brought out An Inconvenient Truth which was both a a book and a film.
1: Yeah absolutely. Okay
0: right so that was your epiphany then. yes (laughs) and when you got back to work how did you start
1: um I I remember coming out there and it was at the Tate in London Mm -hmm. and um I remember being equally quite panicky about what I'd seen and then um, you know equally and feeling this this feeling of obligation of of, uh, a necessity if we were going to stay authentic to the organization that uh, I owned and um, was responsible for we needed to be doing something about the environment but I also absolutely equally felt that there was a huge opportunity for us that there was going to be quite a tidal wave change in um, procurement patterns and in procurement decisions Um, so that was kind of what I marched into the board with the following morning was um, you know we should be doing something about this Um, and if we don't you know, we we can't greenwash and we can't pretend to be doing something when we're not really doing it. But equally, there's this huge opportunity for us to go out there and be on the front of, a, of what I feel is going to be a wave. And it was just a gut feel. And sometimes you get those gut feels in business. Mm-hmm. And if you follow them, um, normally there's a challenge in there um and there's an element of fear but there's an element of being brave as well and if you follow that i'm a big believer that you have those moments that change the shape of your organization for the better um what was the reaction of your colleagues on the board at that time um well i happened to be in in business with my brother (laughs) so um and also two other owners um I think my brother initially was didn't want to and pardon the pun because we're called um commercial group didn't want us to become non-commercial and he was quite concerned about that um but also being my brother I think he took one look at my face and thought this was this is one of those moments where he just had to let me go with it and um had to see what happened as a result of it but initially I wouldn't say they were leaping up and down with excitement um I just think they, they thought well we'll let you follow your gut on this and I said I wanted to set up a working group and to put together a plan which um, had sort of three points to it had three circles to it one was um, reduction of carbon emissions two was reduction of waste and three was you know connecting with our community and, and I saw all of those three circles sort of overlapping if you like
0: Right. Now, did you see this as a business policy or did you see it just as an add-on?
1: I, at that stage, I, I felt that we had to, it couldn't be a, a separate kind of division or a job that was given to a group of people. If we were really going to change, if it was going to be very authentic and it was going to put us above our competition, then it had to be something which was was taken into the heart of the business and became part of our DNA. So it became part of every decision-making process, and everybody in the company would go on that journey with us. So that, that was the way that I wanted to do it. If we were going to do it, we were going to do it in commercial style. We always try and be the best at what we do. We always try and think outside of what everybody else is doing and go, how can we? um stand out in the crowd and how can we do this to the best of our ability um so it wasn't it it became something more than you know just something that was separate
0: okay um how many staff have you got in the organization and are they all based in the same place
1: we've got 250 staff and um our head office is in Cheltenham Mm -hmm. but we have over 40 staff who work primarily from home um uh we've also got an office that we opened last year in the middle of last year um in leeds right so we have uh five staff who work from leeds and we have plans to open an office in london as well
0: right so how do you get all the staff on board given that um, they are quite spread out around the country for one thing
1: um i think first of all it's not a job that's given to um one or two people the engagement side we have two environmental strategists now originally we had one environmental strategist but we've had we have two so they are there to um do the research and to find out about um the more academic side that you need, you know, that you could have a member of staff spending ages looking at a replacement for fossil fuel mm-hmm. um, or something like that, where you need that real academic side to it that has the freedom and space to go off network with people who are like-minded in in the environmental arena and sustainability arena so that side is very important but then we have a number of engagement programs that that we run and we see it very much as a um more of a, a leadership, more of an involvement of changing the company, more of a, a programme that ordinarily you might send people off on um, courses to do or on week workshops to do. This is our way of, of um, allowing people to spread their wings Um, to try things that they hadn't tried before, to change the shape of the organisation. So, we we have one programme which we've won quite a lot of awards for, which is called our Green Angels programme. And we have um, 10 commitments in the company which are around our sustainability um, and CSR programme, Corporate Social Responsibility. Mm -hmm. And there are 10 points to that, and it's called our 10 commitments. And what we have is um, a program. We tend to run four programs a year, and um, people volunteer for that program, and we select people that we think will be good for that program. And they'll be from different departments across the company. Okay. And they will all get together together. And they have a framework that they work to, which we've established over time so that, um, you know, they're able to get things done quickly and work really efficiently. And um, they choose a commitment. And the one thing that they have to do is transform the company for the better. So they take a commitment, which, for example, might be we will ensure that we are lowering our emissions as an organisation year on year and they will Look at in innovative ways that they believe that we can do that. They'll go away. They'll decide on different things that they're going to do, and then they will um, come back to the table, and uh, you know, put together a proposal that will go to the board. There's normally an, a, a, an investment that needs to be made as a company, and there's normally quite often in sustainability, there's a return on investment over time. Um, because of the things that you were doing that were costing you money, eventually you get that return and it starts to save you money. Um, they present to the board. If the board um, approves, which generally they do, they might say, oh, we'd like you to do a bit more of this or a bit more of that. Then they'll go away and they'll implement it. And then they also get given a um budget to communicate it in a positive in a really engaging way across the company so they have a day that they launch what they've been doing they get everybody in the company together um, either in separate little groups or however they decide to do it and they have a real celebration and a real communications day around the piece of work that they've done and then they just make sure that that's rolled out we tend to run three to four programs like that a year um, and it, it really is seen as a way for people to stand out amongst 250 people, to gain confidence, to make real lasting friendships, to spread their wings a little bit. And sometimes it gives them the confidence to go off and do something else in the organisation. So it's, it's a really good programme. Um, okay. So, so in practical
0: in. terms, how has this changed the organisation since 2007? What sort of Uh, things have you done you mentioned emissions but um what what sort of areas have you worked on um,
1: three teams that have looked at our waste at at lowering our waste Mm -hmm. and now we're a, a zero waste company so not only have they looked at the different waste streams so really difficult things are polystyrene so we sell a lot of big um print output devices which have to come in in wrapped in polystyrene so they 've had to find a source that they can recycle those products, etc they had to look at food waste and how we would recycle our food waste, et etc. So each group maybe took three or four. Um, waste streams and then found how we would either recycle or redistribute that waste. Um, and then each team also looked at innovative ways that we could do it. So one, um, uh, one of the final teams built a chute. So now everybody just has a little um, folder that they can put the paper that um, they want to recycle at the end of the day. And then they all just walk around and it just goes straight down into a a chute, into a big container that then can be wheeled straight onto the vehicle ready for recycling. So um, then we've done fun things like um, a team wanted to look at... um, bringing a bit of the countryside to um, an urban environment. So they sourced and built a live wall on the front of our building.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: um, we have Stride and Park. So people are parking a little bit further away because, we, you know, so they can look at thorny issues in the business as well. Parking is an issue in our in our business. They can also attack things. It doesn't have to stand alone as as sustainability, but obviously um By lowering the commute to work and um they they built an amazing um bike shed that's locked and it's got a water butt and it's powered by solar and everything else so that was all part of a the the same program to to lower our our emissions okay. so' all sorts of things.
0: Right. I was going to ask you how you keep the interest going, but it seems to be quite clear that by giving a succession of projects and giving people the opportunity to come up with new ideas, that that is what actually maintains the momentum, isn't it?
1: I think that, um, you know, you have to set people free Mm -hmm. um, and sustainability is no different. And you have to allow people to make it interesting and fun. I think quite often... Um, the trap that some businesses can fall in, into and we certainly have gone through periods like that where it's felt very kind of a bit just being told off all the time as opposed to being inspired and um, making things easy to do things in the right way Yeah, and yeah. I think that by handing the program over to staff and them being part of transforming our business um, and making it better there's such a feel-good factor around that and because it's not just one group of people you know everybody gets to work on a project so there's 250 staff at commercial over 90 people have been involved in the program um and the program's been going for probably about six seven years now i'd say Mm -hmm. um so that's an awful lot of people. It's not just one set of people who get tired and, um, you know, they can get cross when things aren't done quite in the way that they'd set it all up to be done. So it keeps it it fresh, mm, yes. exciting and interesting.
0: Yes. Now, I understand you, you are involving your customers and you run a, an annual CSR day mm-hmm. and you offer consultancy to your customers so they can do the same sort of things as you've done. That Absolutely.
1: Good? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's all very good getting your house in order, and we've learned lots of um, lots of, of useful things and interesting things um, along the way that we like to share with our customers, and we really see it as added value. At this stage, we don't charge for that consultancy. We. Um, that's part of working in partnership with us and it's part of the added value that a customer who chooses to work in partnership with us mm-hmm. gets. Mm-hmm. Um, we've rolled out our Green Angels programs to a big legal firm mm-hmm. in Bristol and they did work, their first project that we mentored them through, so they had the, the um, framework and they they adapted it to suit themselves but we mentored them through the project, they used some of our framework and, and uh, adapted it and um, they, the first one they did was around waste and waste management. So, um, and there's another company that we've rolled it out to as well. So.
0: Right. Now you're a distribution company in the broadest terms. Yeah. Are you finding that the, the sustainability model which you're sharing actually is relevant to companies in different industries?
1: Oh, completely. I mean, the corporate world, um want to make sure that their supply chain is helping them to be as sustainable as they can possibly be. Um, And that's right across the board. That's in social value as well as sustainable value. And um, I think individuals are far more savvy um, around sustainability. Um, So they they're not they can't have the the wall pulled over their eyes you know they they want to that their people are have are making buying decisions every day around um for sustainable reasons as much as cost and everything else
0: right okay if we look at um at the broader perspective uh, earlier at the end of last year some commoner commentators were suggesting that environmental policies were to blame for the collapse of the steel industry, uh, for making uh, British industry uncompetitive. The fact that we've got European regulations basically on emissions, which makes electricity uh, more expensive, was was making us uncompetitive. Mm. Now, do you have an answer to that?
1: I, I don't feel equipped to kind of speak for other industries and other companies, and I think it's wrong to do that. Um, I can only talk about my own experience, and having started this company in my early 20s, 25 years ago, um, going down this path has been, without a doubt, the best thing that we have done as an organisation. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, it has made us stronger, stronger, leaner fitter more thoughtful for what to one another we have much greater relationships we look at something for the long term as opposed to the short term gain um so it's it has really worked for us i'm not going to say it doesn't work for every company and it would be wrong of me to assume that i'd know enough about the steel industry but it, it it's worked for us and if you look at you know it's not going fast enough. The technology is out there to um, for replacement for fossil fuels and everything else. And I hope it doesn't come to the stage that, you know, climate change affects us so badly that suddenly we start to look at what is really available out there. So I, I don't think we're moving fast enough with the technology that's there. And I think that 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 will happen as a matter of course but if you, even if you look at the mileage that cars do now to what they did seven years ago you know they they work so much more efficiently so even though the cost of fuel has gone up actually the amount of um miles that you can do um has increased immensely yeah
0: yes yes did so, you follow cop 21 the paris climate change conference at the end of last year
1: a little bit but not not massively I have to be honest did Did you have
0: any to feeling as it whether it was a good idea or whether it was a successful event
1: I think it was um I think that it was a successful event um I still am impatient because it, it's it's work so much for us as an organization and i think it is i think it's you know difficult for those developing countries it's not right for us to turn around and say well we'll live our lives like this we need to support those countries and we need to make um you know more valuable for them to do the right thing than do the wrong thing and support them to do that so um and there's lots of tools to be able to to help those developing companies um you know, for trading your um, carbon output, for instance, which we do, so we still have carbon emissions, and um, you know, we're able to invest so that we become carbon neutral. We're, we're able to invest those, uh, just kind of offset that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know. Yes. Um, so there is is ways to help other company, other countries do the right thing, and I think it's important to do that.
0: Okay. Well. In conclusion, then, I think we're agreed we need a sustainable future. But yeah. what do you and I, what can you and I, what can businesses, what can public organisations, what can we all do?
1: What should governments do? Um, God, that's a broad question. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, um, I think that you and I... Um, can make sure that sustainability plays at least a 50 percent part in our decision making process in whatever we're buying and whatever we choose to do mm-hmm. um, and I think it's about stopping doing research and thinking about it because my experience is is quite often there is a return on investment or quite often buy you know buying the right car actually in the long run it's going to cost you a lot less money so i think as individuals we need to do that and if we do that um the larger corporations are pushed to you know supply the the right product sorry when I, when you ask about you and me just man on the street what can we do we can vote with our pounds yeah so we can go and make the right decisions and do research before we just go and buy a right. product. We can do our own research and make sure that 50% of our, our decision-making is based on buying a product that has minimal impact on the environment. Right. And it's a sustainable product. Right,
0: right. right. Excellent, good. Well, you've covered a lot of ground. We have covered a lot of topics here, Simon. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me many thanks to simon hindmarch by you can find out more about csr at commercial limited on youtube search for the commercial ltd channel that's all one word the winning of the carbon war is the book by jeremy leggett that i've been mentioning for the last 12 months The final chapter is now available as a free download from his website at jeremyleggett.net or you can buy the hard copy version, in which case part of the price goes to his solar aid charity to provide solar powered lanterns to remote parts of Africa. The final part of this book is a detailed account of COP21, the Paris climate change conference which took place last December. Jeremy was there throughout, listening, reporting and presenting to meetings and events in Paris. He ends his book on a highly optimistic note. I think this is based more on his expectation of the actions that will be taken by commercial organisations than on the promises of politicians. What I read about the process and subsequent comments has made me pessimistic. But Jeremy was there. Whatever the outcome of the conference, we are united in believing that action is urgently required to mitigate climate change and secure this planet for future generations. Let's keep the global corporations up to the mark. And as Simon Heinmarch Bay says, let's vote with our pounds and boycott those that fall behind. And finally, the Sustainable Best Practice Exchange takes place on the 14th of April in Harrogate. Registration opens next week, and I'll update the website at sasbiz.biz to give you the link. I'm the conference chair, but if you have a conference which needs chairing in the meantime, please do get in touch. I look forward to seeing you in Harrogate on the 14th of April, but of course there will be a new episode of the Sustainable Futures Report every Friday between now and then. This is Anthony Day. Bye for now.